it is finished. May that go into our hearts this morning. Because our hearts might often tell us, our minds might often say, you need more. And to that, God says through his spirit and by his son, it is finished. It's good. Or we might hear within our own conscience, you need to do more. And in fact, the Lord would say it is finished. This is Peter John, and welcome to this broadcast on this beautiful Tuesday morning of Rogue Grace. I wasn't able to come in yesterday, so we played an old program, I suppose. You could call it that, an old program from last year. And the reason I didn't come in yesterday was because I got a great, I got a beautiful hug on Sunday after church. Why does that have to do with it? See, I was greeting folks, you guys, maybe, if you're listening, and you were there on Sunday, after service, shaking hands, thanking people for their support, people thanking me for God's word. And this guy comes up, I don't think I've met him before, but I may have. My brain just has forgotten. But he comes up and he gives me this big hug. Which is nice, right? It is. It really is. And he's like a he's a big buff dude. And uh he gives me this bear hug. When I say bear hug, I mean he lifted me up off the ground and gave me a hug. Really nice. Didn't feel nice, though. I heard something crack. So I had to walk away for a minute. Everybody's watching, you know, the the people that are coming by. And tried to get my breath back again. Tried to keep it together (laughs) so I could continue to shake hands. Well, my rib still hurts. And I'm thinking it's a cracked rib. I don't want it to be a broken rib. So I'm I'm claiming a cracked rib. It uh if you know anything about ribs, how it works, I'm not sure. I it it, it it's really sore and then it hurts in the back. So I got a wonderful hug. <laughs> it even hurts to laugh. My daughter, Sadie, always makes me laugh, and I tell her, quit it. Quit being so funny. So, anyways, I'm back here today, though, with a cracked rib. Not a broken, a cracked rib. And uh, God is good. Listen to what somebody emailed me yesterday. It has nothing to do with my ribs, by the way. Peter John, I want you to know what a blessing your radio program is. I listen daily from Montana. I work out of my home, 
with a small business. Sometimes it can be stressful. I just love turning on you at 11 a.m. Mountain time to hear your calming voice and listen to what you have to say. Gives a different perspective to our hectic lives. This is what I wanted to read it for, though. Just a little encouragement to let you know how much you bless my day. I really love when you and your dad talk together. Such a wonderful relationship between the two of you. We have been listening to Pastor John for over 40 years and so thankful for his teaching. May the Lord bless you and have a great day. Roseanne Quinn. 40 years. Man, Dad, you've been preaching for a long time. I've been, I read that again. We have been listening to Pastor John for over 40 years. And if I do the math, yeah, that's possible. 40 years out there in Montana or wherever they may have been before that. So for Roseanne, 40 years, that's beautiful. That's very symptomatic, I think, of the 40 years that the people of Israel were in the wilderness, and I'm not equating my dad's ministry to the wilderness. What I'm saying is you are now going to take what Jesus Christ has given and accomplished for you, for your family, in the kingdom. It is finished. The land, as it were, is yours. God said to Joshua, and God said through Joshua and his people, I have given you the land. Every place you put your foot on, I have given to you. Not, I will give it to you. I have given it to you. Isn't that great? It's finished. As we now take that truth and place it in the New Testament, Jesus already finished the work to make us right with God, to make us righteous in him. And he says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I love that. He doesn't say to Joshua, just be like Moses and I will be with you. No just as I was with Moses. First, think about that. Moses is the law. Jesus, our Joshua, same name, is even greater than Moses. Just as God is with the law, so much more even, but so too God is with Joshua and God comes to us through not the law, God comes to us through the one who kept the law for you and I. God is for us. And then who can be against us? So that's the first thing. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Just as Moses kept the law, our Joshua not only kept the law, but even superseded Moses. But the same is true also in your life personally today. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Just as I was with Moses, God says to me, Pete, I will be with you. And God says that to you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Because you see, you are in Jesus Christ.
I forgot that I actually had like some kind of country song here on our song list. I didn't even know what that song was, so I put it on there. And okay, it's fine. Didn't know I had country music. Kind of country. Whatever it might have been. Rockabilly or whatever they call it. Anyways. Why? Here's a question for us. For you. For me. Why pray if God knows all things? If God knows everything, why do I need to tell God of things? Why? And also, why does he want us to remind him of his mercy and love? For example, in Isaiah 43, put me in remembrance that I am a God who forgives. In other words, continue to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Not only for yourself, but we are to remind him. We are to proclaim to him. We are to praise him for his mercy and love. Is he, is he that forgetful? Doesn't know who he is? Or for that matter, am I that forgetful? Yeah, I am. For sure. But why do I need to tell God of things if God knows everything? If God is everywhere, all present, all powerful, all knowing. Here's an example. God came down to earth. Personally, I believe it was Christ Jesus. Some 2,000 years before he was born in Bethlehem and had a conversation with Adam, pardon me, Abraham. God has this conversation with Abraham about what is going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. But before he tells Abraham what's going to happen, God says, these angels, and the angel of the Lord says there in the book of Genesis, I have to come down to see, let's go check out Sodom and Gomorrah to see all that is going on. So the question is, why would God have to come to see if Sodom is what Sodom was up to, if God is all-knowing? He said, when I see, I will know. Literally, quote-unquote, when I see, I will know. God wants to be reminded, not because he's forgetful or not all-knowing, but for his joy and his delight and his pleasure when we worship him and praise him. It's like looking through a photo album. See, God already knew what was going on in Sodom, but it, it really had some kind of dynamic that hits home, that he knows, he can see and know. And now, opposite of Sodom, our righteousness is the same as true. You look through a photo album, right? You already know those things that are in the photo album with your kids or your spouse, but it's for your joy and your delight. And so too, we are, when we praise God, when we worship God, we're giving him a, a, a kind of 
dynamic in that you can kind of uh, like you're looking through a photo album joy and delight worship in essence is us reminding god of who he is is what i'm saying what yep he knows who he is of course but in this divine communication of worship he finds joy So in that story, he interacts with Abraham and he says, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do in the instance of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he says, I'm going to destroy the cities. I'm going to destroy Sodom. Now, as you know, Abraham had a cousin living in the city of Sodom named Lot. Uh, more accurately, a nephew. And so Abraham doesn't want Lot and his family destroyed with everyone else. So he begins, as you know, if you remember the story, he begins to, to bargain with God. God, if there are 50 righteous people, spare the city, I will. 40, I will. 30, I will. 20, okay. 10, all right. And Abraham leaves it at that. Okay, if there are just 10 righteous people, God will spare the city of Sodom. So either Abraham was assuming that there were 10 people that were righteous, or he was taking the position, if there's not even 10, then maybe the city should go down. I don't know. One of those two things, in my opinion. But here's what I want to say. If Abraham went down to 10 righteous people, and God says, I will spare the city. Abraham, I suggest to you, should have gone all the way down to one. If there's one man who believes in you, spare the city. I think God would have continued to say yes. But Abraham limited God why would have God continue to say yes? Because as I was saying to begin this segment, God wanted to be reminded of his love and his mercy. God wanted to be reminded of his love and his mercy in that conversation with Abraham. When we take communion, God wants to be reminded of his love and mercy. Not because he's forgetful or not because he needs to be reassured. It's because he knows that in reminding him, we are also not only reminding ourselves, we are strengthening ourselves. God would have spared that city for one. I, sh I suggest to you, Abraham didn't remind God enough of who God was in order to spare the city. But even more importantly than that, God now spares the whole world for one, for his beautiful son, Jesus Christ, who died not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That's what God has done. So, quote-unquote, remind God today how merciful he is, how gracious he is. Father, you are slow to anger. You have forgiven us of our sin. Father, you don't let us remain in our sin. 
or else we would not be your children. But in spite of our shortcoming, despite, in spite of our character flaws, and in spite of our disobedience, while we were yet sinners, you have loved us and gave us your son. There's no God like you. There's no one such as you. And we're taking this time, this morning, to remind you of how gracious and good you are. Praise be to you, God. In that kindness, would you heal our bodies, strengthen our faith, renew our minds and our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. have a message for us they've learned to endure they've learned how to trust when they talk about God we can believe what they say because the lives they have lived are the proof of their faith in times of great sorrow when it feels like the end an old man can say I have been there my friend don't ever give up, don't ever let go If there's one thing I've seen, one thing I know Your weeping may last through the night But the sun will soon rise and you'll be alright What feels like a hurt that won't ever heal Will turn to compassion for what I in the hand of the Lord There is purpose in pain I say this because I've been there, my friend Troubles I face Old woman you've shown me The meaning of grace In those times when I feel I'm losing my way I am comforted By every word That you say When you say Your weeping May last through the night But the sun Will soon rise And you'll be alright like a hurt that won't ever heal We'll turn to compassion for what others feel The hand of the Lord brings purpose from pain I say this because I've been there, my friend When the rain comes and pours all around The ground shakes under sun will soon rise and you'll be all right what feels like a hurt 
every time that the devil demanded that Jesus do something, do something to prove himself, Jesus did nothing. In fact, it was when Jesus, quote, did nothing that God declared his pleasure. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. All three times Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert, Jesus did nothing. You see, the devil wanted Jesus to play his game, to jump through hoops, to demonstrate what Jesus had already heard. He had already heard, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And now the devil wants Jesus to demonstrate that. He is bringing Jesus, trying to bring Jesus into a place of feeling nebulous, feeling disoriented, feeling like he needs to prove himself. So he's questioning what Jesus already heard and now says, prove yourself. That's the way the devil works. Prove yourself as a Christian. Prove yourself. And then in other places, prove yourself as a parent. Prove yourself as a businesswoman. Prove yourself as a policeman. Prove yourself. That's the area of trying to find, to claim our own righteousness. And every time the devil, whether in the Garden of Gethsemane or in the garden before he died, the devil was trying to work on Jesus to prove himself. Every time the devil demanded Jesus to do something to prove himself, Jesus did nothing. And not only the devil, but other people in that three-year period of his ministry. They wanted him to prove his divinity, to prove his claim. And Jesus never did. Anytime he did a miracle, it wasn't to prove his, his, his divinity or his claim. He did so to heal he did so to restore. But he often said to them, don't tell anyone. Because why? He says, I will give you one sign. I'll make it very simple. Destroy this body and in three days I will rise again from the dead. That's my sign to you. All the other things that he did, the miracles he accomplished was to bless others, to heal others, to help others, never to prove himself. And today, let's follow his example, resting in his work, trusting in God, and no, free to no longer have to prove ourselves by what we do. It has been done.
was a a younger lady who was a good student. She was in college. She was still living at home. But the stress, the pressure was beginning to mount. It was beginning to add up and take a toll on her, on her thinking. And she was feeling as though it was coming from her parents, her dad and mom. And as young just graduated from high school or in the early years of college kids can or are susceptible to doing, she began to simply look at herself feeling inadequate or not just inadequate, feeling misunderstood as well. So she was susceptible because... She had a friend that she went to high school with, and he was in a few towns over in the state she was living in. They were still in contact over text messages and even phone calls. One thing led to another, and she splits. She takes off. She simply leaves a note behind to her mom, and to her dad, I'm gone, don't even look for me. You see, in so many ways, she just snapped, as it were. And so, she moves in with this guy. A few towns over, her parents not even knowing where she was. And so, they're worried about her, of course. They love her. They're not perfect parents, but they do love her and want what's best for her. And this wasn't sitting with them well, but there was nothing they could do. Not really. They were grateful because from her cell phone, from time to time, she would call them. And they would talk. But she never told them. She refused to tell them where she was. And the more that she felt their angst or frustration, she would just sign off. Okay, bye, and hang up. So they had to continue to work, restrain themselves from, from being edgy with her or demanding of her. And after a while, she just stopped calling altogether. Now the months turn into a year. And so out of um, nowhere, she calls them up a year later. And she says, I'm doing fine. I'm working at this place. Yeah, I'm still living with that guy. And in the course of that conversation, she spoke just enough for once 
that the mom and dad were able to speculate where she was, what town she was in. After a while, they asked her, is this the town you're in? She said, yes. And then they continued to talk about it. And she even gave them her address in order to send money. And so they have her address now. And they talk a few more times on the phone and ask her, honey, you're hurting. You're broke. You feel lonely. Come home. And every time she was adamant, no, thank you. Goodbye. Some weeks, maybe even some months went by again, and the dad said, I'm going to go to where she's at. And so he drives those few towns over down the freeway, finds her apartment, which was disheveled in many ways, not a nice place so much. And he knocks on the door and he says, sweetie, why don't you come home? And she said, okay. She packed her luggage, her suitcase, her one suitcase of things, put it in there and left, left the dude behind, left the apartment behind, came home, went back to school again, got back on her feet. Well, that's great. But the dad was curious how and why, what happened to her? What was going on that she just said, okay, and packed up her stuff and came. He didn't expect that. He just wanted to try to somehow convince her to come home. He didn't have to do any convincing. And so some months down the road after she's back in school and things are well, he's sitting down with her in their house and he says to her, sweetie pie, you, I was so surprised and grateful that you decided to come home with me right away though I thought I was gonna have to talk you into it maybe or pray over you with it but no you just said okay why why did you just come I mean I've asked you all those times on the phone to come home and you never did but I just asked you once at your apartment and you said okay and she said because dad all those other times you were calling that's one thing But then you came, she said. It was more than just words, but you came to where I was at. And in the Old Testament, we have the Word of God. In the New Testament, God came to where we're at. In the law, we have the Word of God in its wisdom, in its extraordinary truth in the new testament in the gospel god comes to us and in your life right now you will be blessed if you keep god's word and follow god's commandments you will save yourself from heartache you will walk in blessing but the way you know that he loves you is even if you feel like you're disconnected or on your own, know this, you're not on your own. And he, he seeks and he saves those that were lost. In other words, God, my Lord Jesus, 
it's not just words because even after I read your words or heard your commandments, I needed you and then you came. This is a good day. Jesus, your mercy. It is new for me. It is new for me. Be praised. Let our worship rise in this place. Jesus was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood. 
over losing the awareness of God's presence, his father. But as he is praying, as you remember, his three disciples, Peter, James, and John were sleeping. While he was sweating, they were sleeping. In the garden, he sweats. But in that sweat of blood, he was breaking the curse. Remember the curse of Adam? That Adam brought upon himself, you are now going to sweat You're not simply going to work. That's not the curse. You're going to sweat. You're going to feel the stress. Jesus is now reversing that curse, that sweat. But they are sleeping. Jesus didn't get mad at them. Jesus didn't berate them. And I see in that account something beautiful, and that is through his sweat. We can now rest as they did. Because he went through restlessness, we can now rest. In the garden, he sweats, breaking the curse so that now we can rest, no longer cursed. By the sweat of the brow. By the way, that word sweat of the brow is translated in other places in the Bible as not just sweat like perspiration, but also out of frustration and anger. We would say stress. But Jesus took all of that to the point of bleeding, sweating blood. All of that anxiety all of that pressure, all of that fear of losing awareness of God's presence. He took it all. And now he rests at the right hand of God, the father. Before we go, I just want, look at, look at the, look at the awareness of God's presence. Joseph, remember Joseph there of an Arimathea, um, he was considered to be a Pharisee, yet he loved Jesus because he saw just what I said. Speaking of Joseph, how about Joseph in the Old Testament? He was able to walk in holiness before the Ten Commandments were even given. He was able to say no to Potiphar's wife, Potty's wife. Look at Moses who chose the presence of God saying, if you don't go, then I don't want to go into the promised land or ahead. He, he chose God's presence over a low maintenance relationship with God. Look at David who sinned against God. And the thing he asked was, take not your presence away from me. He didn't ask, take not your kingdom or your wrath, but your presence. Because these guys all knew, Joseph, Moses, David, they all knew the reward for seeking God is God. Thanks for tuning in. 
to Rogue Grace this morning. I hope you were blessed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can check out my website. I'll be writing an article on it later on today. Hopefully, we'll see. But uh, PeterJohnCorson.com, also my messages are there if you want to listen to any of those. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name, God bless.